This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. At 26 Shirts, a different Buffalo-themed design is sold every two weeks. 52 divided by 2 is 26, hence the name 26 Shirts. Here's the best part. For every shirt sold, a donation is made to either a local family in need or a worthy charity. Since 2013, their designs have managed to raise and donate over $650,000. Head over to 26shirts.com and see what cause needs you this week. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Greetings, podcast fans. What's going on? How you doing? Welcome to episode 167 of the Moranalytics Podcast, presented today by our friends over at 26 Shirts. Go check out 26shirts.com, see what worthy cause that you can help support this time around. Today is Tuesday, November 5th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading and for rating, for reviewing, all that fun stuff. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do that right now. Coming up on today's episode... I'll tell you what, we've now reached the midpoint officially of the 2019 Buffalo Bills regular season. And you know what? Guys are 6-2. and 6-2. and two, Their best start in 26 years. Got to go all the way back to 1993 when they were 7-1 to have a better start. Very good first half. Very promising first half. At least when you look at the record anyway. Today I'm going to have my guy on, recurring segment guest, Aaron Quinn from Cover 1. And we're going to have ourselves a nice Buffalo Bills heavy episode that I'll tell you what, also features our Buffalo Bills midseason awards. We're going to give out at least a dozen pieces of hardware today. The biggest award show since the Dundies. Also going to spend a few minutes recapping the Redskins game from Sunday. We'll go over some season stat projections on some key players. We'll talk about offseason priorities right now, what they may be looking like based on what we've seen halfway through this Bills season, we'll take a peek into the second half of the year. A little crystal ball, we'll pull that out. And I'll tell you what, we're also going to have a nice little discussion on how, despite the Bills being 6-2 and two right now at the halfway point, almost like a civil war with some Bills fans. It's, uh, it's very surprising. There's many people out there right now that are still unhappy with this team and dissatisfied because, sure, they're 6-2, and two, but they beat up on pretty much, I mean, let's be real here, chumps. They haven't really played anybody. At least they haven't really beaten anyone, I should say. But you know what? That's not their fault. 
They don't control the schedule before the season starts. They play who they're told to play. They're winning the games they're supposed to win. Sure, it's ugly. Josh Allen not lighting the world up on fire. The offense, not world beaters right now. The defense has looked very good, but they've had some meltdowns, some moments where they haven't played well. So a lot of fans are still being really critical of this team. And it's kind of puzzling, to be honest with you, because, again, it's easy to forget. This is a franchise right now that has made the playoffs once in 19 years. And they're well on their way right now to making that 2-20. and 20. But a lot of fans, again, dissatisfied. Maybe they have a point. Anyway, Aaron and I, were going to discuss that. A really good conversation, and I'll have that for you in just a minute. Real quick, this week's podcast giveaway is being sponsored by BuffOnWeck.com. This week, we're going to give away a really cool Dre Day t-shirt, fired, of course, by the classic Dr. Dre, the chronic shirt. Also, a really sweet blue 716 hat in this prize pack as well. All you got to do to be eligible to win is go on my Twitter, which is at Hammerin Tweets. Right there, you'll see uh, pinned right at the very top of my timeline, a tweet. Make sure you're following me on Twitter. Make sure you're following Buff on Weck on Twitter and retweet it out. The instructions are right in the graphic on the tweet that is at the top of my timeline. That's it. That's all you got to do. Winner will be announced late Friday afternoon. Congrats to last week's winner, by the way, Justin Cornell, who won the Macy's Place Pizzeria Prize Pack. Again, at Pamoran Tweets on Twitter. Free chance for you to win some pretty cool stuff. All right, enough plug in there. Let's get into today's episode. It's a good one. Here's the Buffalo Bills Midseason Awards and other Bills stuff. A segment with my man, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Let's do it. All right, I'm now joined by Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Does a lot of stuff there, including co-hosting the Cover One Buffalo podcast along with Greg Thompson after Bills games on Sunday nights and also a show on Wednesdays. What's up, dude? Yo, the, the Bills are... Doing, dude? I'm, I'm salty for different reasons than other people, okay? The Bills are 6-2 and two right now, and I know you're kind of with me on this, and we're pretty much mainstays on Twitter. We're always on there. What a salty ass bunch of Bills fans going on on social media right now. You would think they were two and six, ain't it? It's unbelievable, man. I get it. It's like uh, I'm all for criticisms and pointing out flaws and all the things like that. I spend half of my post game show kind of ranting about fans being so mad even during the game. Like they're winning the game and people are just mad and angry and. I don't know, man. I know I'm a little bit younger than you here, but I was nine years old the last team, the time this team had a 6-2 and two start. I know I've got to analyze this team. I know I've got to do all that, but at the end of the day, I'm still a fan, and you're, there's nothing you're going to come out and say or some statistic or number bad, bad about this team that's going to make me not enjoy being 6-2. and two. I'm just going to enjoy it. You're a fan. This is what it's all about and enjoying it. It could all fall apart in the next few weeks, but I'm going to enjoy it right now while it's here. And as you should. Again, we're acting like we're the New England Patriots right now. I'm talking about the fan base, not the team itself. It's like, what more do you want? I'm going to point out three things, okay, that I think every fan out there needs to take a step back, breathe a little bit, and just think about it, okay? A, we were 6-2 six, we're six and two right now. Last year, we were 2-6 and six at this point. That's a pretty big swing, okay? That's one thing. How did we not kill each other when they were 2-6? and six? I know. I almost feel like there was less bickering 
there was less bickering going on last year when the team stunk. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I think because we were all unified saying, all right, well, Josh Allen's a rookie. It's going to be bad. Right. Yeah. It's going to be a long season. It's a rebuilding year. A bunch of rookies, rookie middle linebacker. So there were no expectations. I just feel like the expectations are nuts right now. But anyway, so we went from 2-6 and six to 6-2 six and two in one year. Another thing, and you kind of hit on this earlier, we haven't been this good at the halfway point since 1993 when they were 7-1. and one. You were 9 years old. I was already drinking and getting ready to start my career as a bartender, but, you know, that's another story for another time. <laughs> but point being, yo, 26 years has been since the Bills have been this good halfway through the season. And then the last thing, and I remember talking about this, you and I, in fact, during some summer installments of the, our segment, going through season previews and predictions and things like that. Dude, Vegas, all the moves the Bills made during the offseason, the offensive line being rebuilt, having a top 10 pick, going out, getting Mitch Moore, some other guys. At the end of the day, Vegas still had Buffalo, the over-under for wins this year, at only 6.5. We're at the halfway point. The Bills are 6-2, and two, and there's still a lot of dissatisfied men and women out there right now when it comes to the Bills. This blows me away. I I agree, and I remember that show that we had, because I predicted the Bills to go 11-5, and five, and I put it on our podcast, and people ripped on me for a week. And then all of a sudden, it was like a, a turn within like a five-week period. When I put that out, people were ripping me, and then three to four weeks later, expectations, I feel like, got even further than I had them at 11 wins. People, I think you're right, you nailed it. People are thinking that this is the New England Patriots. This is a real Super Bowl contending team, and that is why their expectations of who this team should have been or is currently got way out of whack, uh, I think, with the fast start, and people started uh, lifting the measuring bar that they're measuring this team up against to that, and that's why they're not happy with the little lack of production on offense. That's why they're not happy with six and two, but they're ugly wins or whatever it is. Where I think a lot of us who knew what year two of the Josh Allen part of this rebuild was going to be was going to be incremental success from a year ago, and I think that's what you're seeing all across the stats, especially on the offensive side of the ball. You're seeing just incremental success, but in the win column, it's showing up in a big way. So. Uh, it's, it's just played out really nice. They have a good schedule. They don't get to choose who they play against, so you got to beat the teams that you can beat, and that is what this team's done, and they can't really do any more than that. I mean, people expect blowouts, but blowouts aren't something that is consistently happening around the NFL, and very few teams do it with any consistency. So I don't know, man. There's definitely stuff to, like, pick apart and analyze and be critical of this team, but – being mad about a 6-2 and two start just seems really foolish. Yeah, and just so I'm clear, too, Aaron and I, and I can speak for both of us here, We're not. this isn't all Bills fans. This is a portion of the fan base. Oh, yeah. And maybe it's, it's even... It's a loud minority, right, if we're it, being honest. Exactly. It's a loud minority. You said that perfect. It's not like all Bills fans are going around hootering and hollering and complaining about this and that. But I, I guess the biggest thing is this, okay? This team is supposed to be improved from last year. And, yes, they played a pretty – that pretty. They played an easy-ass schedule right now. They played some mm-hmm. scrubs. Let's just tell it like it is, okay? The Jets, Miami, Cincy, Washington. But I still, like, who are the Buffalo Bills? What have they done to show you that they should go out and beat teams like Washington or Cincinnati by 25, 30 points? What history do you have to base that off of? None. We're, they're getting wins. And to me, it's just like, pick up the wins, man. At the end of the day – especially when you're a team that never makes the playoffs. I just want to get in the playoffs. I know some people's expectation is, 
well, I don't just want to get in the playoffs. I want to compete for a Super Bowl. Well, so do I. But you know what? I want to get in the playoffs first and foremost. So I don't give a shit how we win. I also want to be a millionaire, but I'm cool with just, like, saving thousands of dollars. And stay, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah, there's things that you want life to be, but you also have to be realistic. You have to be pragmatic. And I think that Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean also want to be in the Super Bowl, but they understand that it takes incremental success and they have a plan in place. And I think where they're at is really on schedule with the plan for the most part. Some burials, some things probably haven't gone the way they envisioned and some have gone better. So, But I think ultimately they're right where they thought that this rebuild would be. Uh, it just so happened that the schedule lined up real nice. And some of that stuff, man, is every year teams kind of fall apart. Uh, and a lot of people thought the Jets were going to be a lot better than they are. I know Bills fans, uh, the majority of Bills fans didn't think so, but a lot of good analysts thought so, and they've fallen apart. I, I think Cincinnati had the chance to not be totally bad, and then here we are. They got just a rash of injuries, and just the season's already gone away from them. Coming up here uh, this week, they're playing a 2-16. and 16. Again, this team was supposed to be Super Bowl favorites, and their whole season's falling apart. So it's not always it lined up where they were playing seven Miami teams in a row. There were some good teams that uh, have had tough seasons, but when I go through every single week and analyze these teams on Wednesdays with the opposing guy, and when I'm looking at the teams and watching the film, all these teams play tough games in the league against other teams that are average to good teams. It's not like any of these teams, besides really the Dolphins, but they've played a couple good halves before they played the Bills. But a lot of these teams, man, they are playing competitive football across the league. They're just not coming up with the wins. And that's historically what the Bills have done in these seasons. You know, even last year where they were 2-6, and six, they were in some games and just couldn't finish the game. And now fans are mad that they still are an average team, just about below average in some categories, but they're finding the ways to win and people are complaining. I just, I can't get with it. I'll tell you, you know, it's kind of funny, the difference between my Twitter and my Facebook on Twitter, I'm kind of developing this reputation. I was a homer. People are accusing me of being a homer. And I'm a homer for this podcast. I'm a homer on Twitter. Conversely, on Facebook, yeah. and obviously Twitter's a bunch of people who either are a, you know, just fans of the podcast or, you know, people who like me or in some cases people who don't know shit about me or hate me. But Facebook is yeah. generally your friends. You know, those are if you're Facebook friends with people and you know them to some extent. Yeah, at least you might see them in real life. Yeah, and that's the complete opposite. I'm known as a Bill's hater on Facebook. People who know me, they think I'm a hater because I'm always bitching about something, although I'm not bitching this season much, at least not after the games. I might bitch during the game because I'm pissed off about oh, yeah, something. Like a Corey Bohorquez 15-yard punt like we saw on Sunday. That pissed me off, and I went on a big rant about it, how I could punt the effing ball 15 goddamn yards. And I was there, there it came out. Yeah. yeah, I was pissed about the defense in the first half, man. I tweeted about that. I was like, what the heck? I was told this was fixed. You know, it's it's an emotional time being a fan it's during just, the game. It is, but it's just funny how on Twitter, all of a sudden, I'm a homer. But anyway, so the Bills are 6-2. and two. Let's briefly, and I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about the game. Go ahead. No, the problem with Twitter, just so you know, is I get this, is it's mostly the anonymous accounts, people hiding behind accounts that aren't their real name, that are just loud, obnoxious, uh, not the majority of people. It's That's what makes it that you're a homer. I get it all the time. And I was like, listen, man, I know you're not going to go back and listen to the podcast or listen to the podcasts that I'm on with other people, but I'm critical of this team when I see fit. Like, I'm not just going to be a homer, and you're the same way. So anyone calling you just a blanket, Homer is just trolling you on Twitter. Anybody who says that about me did not listen to this podcast last year. That's all I could say. <laughs> I, I would go on weekly rants that would drive myself crazy. My wife was sick of hearing me bitch about the Bills every goddamn week on the show. But anyway, oh, I, I do want to talk briefly 
about how they got to 6-2. and two. not going to spend a lot of time on that. By the time people hear this Tuesday morning, it's kind of old news because I do want to spend time doing our Buffalo Bills midseason awards. I think that's going to be fun. But briefly, Sunday's game, I think the biggest story to come out of that is it was like an unofficial pass into the torch perhaps to Devin Singletary for the first time this season. And granted, he's missed half the season because of the hamstring. But they brought him along very slowly, almost painfully slowly. But that was not the case Sunday. Right off the bat, he's out there. He had four touches on the first drive. He picked up 26 yards on four touches. Second drive, he caught that screen pass, made a nice move, and he went 49 yards. He was a very big part of his offense from the opening snap, literally, on Sunday. He ended up 23 touches for 140 yards and a touchdown. Conversely, Frank Gore wasn't his day, and I'm not going to blame it all on him. The offensive line did a pretty shitty job of blocking in those short-yarded situations. He kept getting stuffed. But anyway, my point was, this was a big game for Devin Singletary. And for me, the offense just looks, it's a different dynamic when Devin Singletary's out there. He just reminds me of a guy that can make a big play anytime the ball's in his hands. Yeah, I I don't necessarily agree that they moved him into this role too slowly. I think the plan was similar to what they've done all along. And then he had the injury, and I think that held it up here sure. a little bit. But I think they did want to get him going. Uh, and you saw trends of him getting more snap counts, and even in the last week or two getting more snap counts. And this matchup actually just lined up really well, I think, for Devin Singletary to get the majority of the touches. When I was watching the film on the Redskins, I tweeted out, I said, you know, because I've been kind of hard on him and said, you know what, with guys with limited production all the time, they team tries to give them 20 carries and the production doesn't match what they had with 6 to 10 carries. You know what I mean? Right. There's just some guys that can really produce in a limited role and that's cool. And maybe Devin Singletary's that. We'll see. What we saw, and he can produce in that role of 20 touches, so I'm all for that. Uh, but this week played really nicely to that. And when I saw that on film, I tweeted I said, you know what, for all the people calling for the 20-touch the Devin Singletary game, this could be that game where he could have a real big game because it played to the strength and the weakness of, I thought, the Redskins defense where I think they're strong, really, between the, uh, the right between the center and guard. I think, you know, that hurt Frank Gore this week, and you saw it on film, where uh, Devin Singletary can just get out into space. He can get out there a little bit more, run some of the stretch stuff, run around the corners, some of the outside zone stuff. So I thought it played really well for him, and he took the most of those opportunities, and it was electric. I was at the game. Um, he woke the crowd up. He moved the ball. He made the big plays he needed to. We talk a lot about toxic differential. He had a few over 20-yard plays. Uh, when you get that kind of production from one player, it's really it's significantly impactful to the end results of the game, and he was. He was by far the MVP of the game. Let me ask you a question. You tell me if I'm nuts. I'm certainly going to be called a homer for this statement right now, but when I watch him play, I have thoughts, and again, being my age, I watched him play his entire career of Thurman Thomas. In a way, in a way, and here's what I mean. Thurman was never the fastest running back in the league, like from point A to point B, and that's kind of how Singletary is. Singletary is more known for quickness and shiftiness than he is straight-line speed. He's not a 4-3 burner, you know what I'm saying? Thurman was kind of the same way. Thurman made you miss. The one thing I'm noticing more and more about Singletary Again, in limited touches until this past Sunday, yo, he makes a lot of people miss at the line. And he's almost like, oh, yeah. And it's in tight space, too. That reminds me of Thurman in that kind of way. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not being stupid here. I'm not trying to say this guy, Devin Singletary, is the next Thurman Thomas. We're talking about a, a Hall of Fame yeah, running back. Right, on him yet. right, exactly. But <laughs> I see some things in his game. Now, I don't think his hands are to 
nowhere near as good as Thurman's was. Because Thurman would catch everything in Singletary. I don't know. He's got to prove that he could catch the ball because he's had a couple issues with that. But I'm talking about the shiftiness, the elusiveness, the the, the quickness, the way he could turn nothing into a little something. And he just feels like he's a home run hitter every time he touches the ball. But in a different way. Not a 4-3. Bam. You give him one little gap and he's gone. He's 75 yards of the house. Like Alvin Kamara. Not that kind of guy. But this guy's really shifty. And he has some, like, Thurman tendencies to me. Yeah, I think what it is that I can see where you're drawing that comparison from, and I think it's in the deceptive athletic ability, the athletic ability that doesn't show up in yes. your RAS scores. It doesn't show up at the combine. But when you get the guy with a football in pads against other football players, he can rip off. 40, 50 yard runs. And in order to do that in this league, you got to be a, a very athletic person. So he's one of those conundrums where it doesn't match up with the measurements, but then the things he does with the football in his hand prove that he is a much better athlete than all those uh, quantifiable things state. So I think that's where I would say with Thurman, because you're right, Thurman wasn't the freak athlete necessarily that Barry Sanders was, um, but he was able to just find, he had great vision, and that's something you can't measure. You know, at the combine or any of those types of tasks. And Devin Singletary has amazing vision. I think that's what allows him to be as elusive as he is, uh, is that vision and kind of being a step ahead of the defenders. Uh, so I can see some of that. I would like to see him do more. I'd love to see him do more like the Thurman Thomas running real routes, uh, you know, and catching wheel routes and stuff like that. That is what made Thurman one of the most dynamic, dynamic backs. I think at the time, because he was the Marshall Falk before Marshall Falk was even thought of. Uh, and if we can get that type of production out of Devin Singletary, that could really help some of these fans that are so mad in the passing game and things like that. I think it would help there. Um, but, man, yeah, no, the kid has a, has a real chance. And I hate to get too excited about early production, but, gosh, every time he touches the ball, you're right. It feels like he can just take it. It's fun. It's fun watching him play. I like watching him play football. I've become a fan of his in relatively short time. Got to hit on Josh Allen, okay? We talked earlier about the fan base as a whole, about the team being 6-2, and two, but some people largely unimpressed, and obviously a big part of that is Josh Allen. So, like, the, the fan base civil war wages on with that. Sunday, 14-20 for 160. Touchdown, no interceptions. He had a one-yard rushing touchdown as well. Fumbled once, didn't lose the ball, wasn't a turnover, but it did cost him a first down, and they ended up punting. Obviously, that's a problem. Pedestrian boring numbers when you really look at them on the surface, but also, you know, it wasn't harmful either. This is the third straight game now where he hasn't thrown an interception and turnovers are firing away his biggest criticism. Where are you at with him right now? Did the needle move at all, like over maybe say the last two games from where you were, or is it kind of like the same deal? He's still a kid. Let's not rush the judgment too much on him, but at the same token, I don't think it's unfair to start expecting him to play a little more consistent. I don't want to say better. I want to say consistent than he is right now. So there's a little bit to unpack, and I won't ramble on here, but I think, again, the expectations are similar to the expectations of the team as a whole, and I think that people expect Josh Allen 
to perform as well and as quickly as some other top-name quarterbacks have done recently with Sean Watson and Patrick Mahomes, and especially those guys were in the draft before. So Bills fans assume that the Bills had maybe interest and could have drafted those guys, so there's going to be also those comparisons. Uh, the thing is, is guys do develop at different rates, and we're talking about Josh Allen, a guy who, what, five years ago was in Juco, playing Juco football and still couldn't get scholarships, still only got two scholarship offers after playing at Juco, so we're talking about a guy that's maybe one of the most raw prospects that we've seen come into the NFL in who knows how long, because he's still, even when he went D1, man, we're talking about uh, a school that is not a big-time school. He's not playing with Lane Kiffin, you know what I mean? He's not playing with some of these big-name college coaches out there, Stevens and things like that. He, he was just playing up there in the North, uh, kind of not being taught the game of football the right way, so he's a super raw prospect. We've seen real incremental development in this kid over the 19 games that he's played in the NFL. So I'm at the same place I was. I think since he's come back from that Patriots game uh, where he got hurt, we've seen a different Josh Allen. We've seen a guy, like you said, he's not turning the ball over. He's playing more, you know, a lot of people want to make a comparison to Tyrod. He's playing more of that Tyrod, you know, more game manager football that we saw from Tyrod. And I keep telling those people, they're saying, well, we got that with Tyrod. Why don't we just keep him? Well, one, Tyrod was super expensive. Uh, Two, Tyrod also didn't have the ability to take over a game in the fourth quarter like we've seen from Josh. He's one of the best fourth quarter passers in the league this year. And so he, if you told me three years ago that Tyrod was going to throw, you know, no interceptions, he would never have big 300-yard games. But in the fourth quarter, if the game was closed, Tyrod would take it over and win the game for you. I would have kept Tyrod for another eight years. Uh, But he just wasn't that guy. And so I think you have that guy in Josh Allen. And if he continues to play turnover-free football, that's super exciting. And I think all the other stuff will continue to be incremental progress. Josh Allen's got 20-something starts, 25 starts left, bare minimum. He's going to play all of next year. So people just got to buckle up, hope that he continues to have incremental improvement as we go on here. But people trying to, like, bail already or say they need to start looking at quarterback next year, it ain't happening. I think he's made enough progress to say, look, let's invest give everything and invest in this kid. And this GM and coach, they're handcuffed to this kid at this point, and they're going to ride it out uh, until 2020 and see what happens. And like I said, as long as we have incremental progress uh, all throughout and, and continuing to see growth, it doesn't have to be week-to-week growth, but growth as a whole, that's about all you can ask for at this point. I'll tell you this much, man. Nothing bothers me more than when Josh Allen gets compared to Tyrod Taylor. I hate that oh. comparison so much. For so many reasons, I do understand in regards to he's being a little smarter with the football, a little more conservative. Yeah, having a 160-yard game, using his legs more than maybe he should. So I get that aspect of it. And plus, I mean, let's be honest here, one of Josh Allen, probably the only thing about Josh Allen this year that really bothers me, it's not the numbers, it's not even the turnovers, because I expect that with this kid. What bothers me is the kid can't hit a deep ball. That's the one thing about his game that's bothering me because that's the one thing he should be really good at is throwing a good long ball. To him not hitting on any of those this year, that's really bothered me at the halfway point in the season. But in terms of the Tyrod thing, dude, I can't tell you, man, mainly off the record, and I'm not going to name names or anything, but I have talked to probably four, maybe more former current Buffalo Bills players that really like Tyrod Taylor as a man, but just said the dude can't pass. He can't throw the ball. He couldn't read a defense. He couldn't. He was locked in on one play. He didn't go through progressions. They just couldn't. Right. They were so limited in the passing game with him. I don't think that's the case with Josh Allen. Now, right now, sure, he's making a concerted effort. 
to be a little more conservative. I keep using that word conservative, but I still don't think that's in his DNA. And I think as he gets a little more comfortable and familiar with defenses, you're going to start to see him open up. He's a lot more, and I've used the comparison before, not in terms of talent, but he's a lot more like Brett Favre to me than he's ever going to be Tyrod Taylor or Trent Edwards Absolutely. for the long term. So I just, God, it really, that really gets under my skin. And so many people compare that or even take the Tyrod Taylor's better than Josh Allen. Stands uh, on, oh, yeah. God, it drives me nuts. But anyway, yeah. I got to get off that horse right here. One more thing I want to talk about from Sunday's game. The Bills run defense, all right? I, I thought like Philly might have just been a wake-up call. You know, it happens. It was just one of those things that happens. But that first half of that Washington game, that was very concerning to me. Adrian Peterson, yeah. who's like, I don't know what, 77 years old, some shit like that, goes over 100 yards in the first half. I mean, they could not stop him to save their life. And you know Callahan's going to run the ball. They got a guy who's not going to throw the ball around. You know they're going to run the ball. Yet they still go out. And they ran all over the Bills in the first half. That's their credit. Second half, completely different story. Wesley Frazier made some adjustments, and they, they not pretty much, they did shut down Adrian Peterson in the second half. But what's going on with this run defense? Why is, are you concerned that this is becoming a problem and that that Philly game wasn't just a wake-up call? Because they're playing some much better offenses in the coming weeks with much better running backs. And I'll tell you what, man, if they don't, Start playing better, defending the run. It's going to be long days ahead on Sundays, I think. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com yeah so am i concerned yeah i'm concerned am i is it a huge um changing the how i think that this team can perform for the year concerned uh, not yet i don't think so because i have seen the ability for this team to adjust uh like we saw last week where even on a first half where they're just getting beat up uh, they can come out and make the adjustments i do think i believe leslie frazier when he talks about the issues in the run game right now and sean mcdermott too when he talks about you know uh gap integrity being gap honest uh being in position pre-snap even uh to make the right assignments you know getting everybody lined up and it you know people want to be rushed in and blame one person or two people they they look at the game and they see uh tremaine Edmonds not where they believe he should be in position and you see adrian peterson running by right by where he was and the people want to say well tremaine Edmonds had a bad game or you see star kind of get moved around on a spot and you don't know what his assignment is but you want to say you know what star latula sucks because i always keep seeing him get moved uh all different types of things and when you see that when you you do break it down in slow motion repetitively over time and a lot of times when i'm watching this i'm going back and forth with eric turner and one and we're going back and forth and he's going you know what man this this alignment doesn't look right or uh you know Shaq Lawson's head's on the wrong side of this guy here he, he's got the wrong gap and it's almost every one of those big plays you see somebody doing something wrong and it's not always the same guy uh but that's the the with this type of defense this Leslie Frazier Sean McDermott defense Frazier talked about in his press conference 
everyone's got to do their job and be in their assignment the way they play uh, because if you're not, it really does expose your defense to some of that stuff. So I think they got to just keep teaching. Uh, they talk about a lot about time on task. You got a lot of young players at Oliver, uh, Jordan Phillips playing really well, but still a young guy. Um, Shaq Lawson still a young guy. So you got a lot of young guys. Obviously, you're middle linebackers. They're going to make mistakes. People are going to be off. So as long as they keep teaching, it becomes less of a concern for me. I think they got good teachers in that room. They've got good players, and it's just about putting it all together consistently. But you're right, man. Next week, you're playing a two-win team with one of the most dynamic, best running backs in the league. So that that's one of those games where, yeah, it's a team with two wins, but if they play like they've played the last three weeks in the run game, Nick Chubb can make it a real long day for him. So it is a concern in that sense, but I do think that they have all the tools, the players, the teachers, uh, and the right mindset to fix it. Uh, and it, now they've just got to prove it. they got to stop talking about it. One last thing, then I want to get to our Buffalo Bills midseason awards show. When it comes to the, the run defense right now, and more specifically defensive tackle, I kind of alluded to this on Twitter. I'm pretty sure that you disagreed with it. The trade deadline was two weeks ago before they played Philly. At the time, they didn't have any really glaring weakness in any part of their defense. I mean, Miami got them a little bit in the running game. It leaked a tiny bit, but nothing serious. Anyway, the trade deadline passed before the Philly game. Based on what you saw in the Philly game and based on what you saw in the first half of the Washington game, I mean, they probably bring up Paco Pico, and it didn't work. Now they got up uh, Vincent Taylor. Eh, I still feel like they're trying to get somebody else, but, I mean, it's going to be a guy from the street because they can't trade. I guess my question is, do you think Brandon Bean would have been a little more aggressive near the trade deadline and maybe pick up a one-technique defensive tackle if the trade deadline was, say, today? People are hearing this on Tuesday instead of two weeks ago. Um, so I didn't disagree with you that I can see where you, you get that idea from. Uh, I guess where I disagree is I feel like if he really felt a chance to make this team better, he would. But I don't know that even if the last couple of weeks were on film that he would – pay more. So I think he probably called on some of the possible one techniques that were available, but I don't know how much he comes off his value spot based on the last couple of weeks' performance uh, to make a move with assets. He likes his assets. He he is willing to make trades, but they really got to be in his range of value. He talked about that in free agency even, uh, that he and his front office set value on guys and that he made sure that those guys held him to that value because he knows he likes new things and shiny things and all that. And he said, you know what, guys, if I start to get crazy on this value, reel me back in. Like you're, I think they split up the responsibility in that front office pretty well. And I think they set the values on some of these guys, and I think they made calls on a lot more people than fans realize. And they said, you know, I'm not coming off that value. That That's too much for that. And I don't know that this, this last two weeks moves the needle so much for the big-picture vision that they have for this team. Because like we talked about earlier, this this 2019 year wasn't about being a Super Bowl contender, right? Like, it's just about developing the young talent, getting everything going, being playoff caliber, which I, I think they feel this team is. And then moving forward, they start to take that a little bit more seriously to being a real contender. So I don't know that he moves a lot of the assets that are future developing assets to fix anything substantial for the 2019 team, if, if that makes sense. I don't know that he swings bigger now. Uh, versus uh, moving off of his uh, the big picture goal. Fair enough. They're probably not any more of a Super Bowl contender now than they were two weeks ago, or maybe to give up a, 
a third round. Pick and even pick. if they if they get a one technique and, and start stopping the run, does that make them a much more of a Super Bowl contender in 2019? It, it doesn't fix the offensive issues. You know what I mean? Right. That's a fair point. All right, so let's get to the Bills midseason awards portion. I'm going to run off some categories. I'll get your take on who you're going to give your award to, a brief explanation why. I'll chime in with one of my own. We'll start with best and worst game of the season so far. Let's do worst first, your worst game so far this year. I would have to go. This is a tough one. This is a toss-up between Miami and, and Philly. I'm going to go with the, the Eagles game. Just because, not that I expected them to win, but they got their butts kicked. I agree. And I'll tell you what, furthermore, and by the way, you and I have not discussed these at all. I have no clue where you're going with anything, and you have no clue where I'm going. I'm actually no. glad you mentioned Miami because they deserve honorable mention, if nothing else, because that's the game coming off a of bye where the Bills did not play very well. And sure, they ended up winning by 10, but it was a much closer game than that for the majority of it. And I feel like that's the game where fans really started to get salty with this team, even though they're winning. Didn't that, yeah. I think that game put them at what, 5 and You're 1, right. correct? That was the mm-hmm. game that made them 5 and 1. You would have thought they lost in the, in the newspapers, on the radio, on podcasts all week. It was like they lost that game. So that was a bad game for sure, too. What about, on the other hand, your best game of the year so far? I think uh, this last week, the Redskins game, I think uh, I know a lot of fans are salty about the way it went, but being at that game, I know it got back within one score, but you held them to three field goals. I didn't feel like the Redskins had any chance of getting in the end zone whatsoever. Even when the the Bills went through their stretch of punts, I just felt like, okay, give them back the ball. We're going to get it right back. You know, it just never felt like the Redskins really were a team that could compete with the Buffalo Bills on that day. And, And seeing Singletary break out, it was the best off single offensive performance of the year. So I thought that game was so far their best game. I'm going to go with the game at Nashville. Um, the reason okay, why yeah. being is because they started out 3-0, then they lost to New England, and it felt like Tennessee was their first real road test of the season, and they mm-hmm. answered the bell. They, they played very well. They went in. They got five sacks on Marcus Mariotto. And, uh, I mean, Tennessee's kind of been exposed as a pretender since then as well. But at the time, it felt like the kind of game where if you want to be a wild card team, you got to go out and you got to win on the road against Tennessee. Still feel that way to some extent. So I'm going to go Tennessee. The next two categories, yeah, like the next two categories, we're going to go best offseason pickup and worst offseason pickup. And, uh, let's roll with the, you know what? Let's go with best offseason pickup first. Who do you got? Best offseason pickup, I got to go with John Brown. Yeah. And I, I don't think you can make a case for anybody else, the impact he's had. I know leading up to last week, a lot of people said, and he was this last week too, but people said, Devin Singletary is your best player. He's your most explosive player. He's he's your guy that you got to feed the ball. And I no, really think they just they got to keep feeding John Brown. They got to get this guy the ball as much as they can. He's, he is really a productive wide receiver. And, way, way more productive than I assumed. I thought he'd be a nice part of a wide receiver room. I didn't think he would be the primary wide receiver target for the Bills this year. I I couldn't agree more. It's John Brown for me, not even close. He's got 42 catches, 603 yards already, and he fired away. He's Josh's go-to guy. He's the most dependable guy. When it's third and 11, and you've got to get that first down, I feel like he's looking at John Brown every single time, as he should be. I think this guy's been everything the Bills could have possibly hope for when they sign him. What about on the other end right now? Worst offseason pickup. And I know using the word worst is kind of a bad term because you're kind of insinuating that 
somebody sucks, and that's not necessarily the case. Maybe it's just someone that you had better expectations for that kind of yeah. lived up to them. But anyway, worst offseason pickup, who would you pick? Yeah, no, I agree with your description there because it really is, it's not that he's performed poorly, it's that he just hasn't really performed in Tyler Croft. Uh, he just missed so much time this summer, so much time early in the season, and has slowly been a part of the offense. Uh, and, and so he's got to be my worst just because he was a priority free agent and just with injuries and just the way the offense is going, he just hasn't incorporated himself here halfway through his first year as a Buffalo Bill. So Croft gets my worst pickup this year so far. My worst, and this guy's a starter and you or a lot of people might not agree. And I'll tell you, I'm not much of a film guy. So maybe somebody who breaks down the film will give him much better grades than, than I see with my naked eye. But I, I'm not a fan with the way Quinn and Spain's played whatsoever. Darn it, okay. I'm ready to see, like, at this point, what Spencer Long could do. I know he was inactive on Sunday. Or even better yet, if they were to move Cody Ford to right guard, maybe slide Feliciano to the left, which, I, by the way, for the record, so we're clear here, the Bills ain't doing that. They're not going to take her with the winning no. formula. So I'm, I'm just saying in my world, I know that's not going to happen. But the bottom line, my point is, is that I'm just, I'm not really much impressed with Warren with uh, Quentin Spain. I almost said Warren Spain. I'm not, I'm not impressed with Spain much at all right now. I just I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I mean, he's he's done some things well. He's not a, he's not a very well-rounded guy, but he's he's still a big upgrade from the offensive line last year, um, and maybe that's why a lot of fans are kind of giving them a pass on the, on the problems with the offensive line so far this year. Yeah. What about we'll go biggest surprise? This could be something good or something bad. I, so I went bad. Um, I know I'm a huge homer and uh, only look at the positive of the team, but I went with Robert Foster and his inability to get offensive snaps and even get on the active game day roster here throughout this season, especially how he finished last year. I was never sold that the production that he was able to occur last year was something that would translate year over year with him, um, but I didn't expect it to be this large of a drop-off for him. I, really, I expected him to have some role in this offense, and, and get Dable and write him up some creative plays. Something's going on there, and it was talked about a little bit online today on Twitter. I don't know that anybody has the real answer or what's really going on, but something's going on there where he just hasn't found the ability to get on the field, and that is super disappointing to me. Hi, I'm Matt Kundal, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the podcast about broadcast. Every week since 2016, we've been bringing on broadcast leaders to talk about their experiences in radio, what they've seen, and where they believe it is all going. If you live and love radio, subscribe to the Sound Off Podcast with Matt Kundal wherever you get your podcasts. That's a good answer. I'm going to go the other way with a, a bright surprise, and that is actually, we've talked about him a little bit on the show already today, Jordan Phillips. I mean... Yeah. I, I, with that Oliver there, we didn't know Harrison Phillips obviously was going to get hurt. I figured, okay, I remember when he re-signed. I'm like, all right, that's cool. Get the guy one-year deal, some depth. Say what? He's arguably been the best Bills defensive lineman this year. I mean, mm-hmm. six sacks in eight games. Who saw that coming? I know I didn't. And I'll give honorable mention, by the way, to John Feliciano. I mentioned him a minute ago. I think for the most part, he's had a very good season at right guard. Yeah, Jordan Phillips, man, I just... I didn't see this, and he keeps making plays. It'd be one thing if he had all these numbers in one game. Like, he had three sacks against Tennessee, but it wasn't just like he's played well against Tennessee. He's making plays, and he's taking steps. I mean, even just this Sunday, um, Sean McDermott said on Monday, 
you know, he deserves snaps right now. He's taking some away from Oliver, and it's deserved. So that pleasantly surprises me how well he's played this year. Yeah, no, that's a that's a great choice. I love Jordan Phillips. I'm with you on that. Let's go unsung hero. This is a guy who's playing well and maybe not getting the credit that he deserves. And maybe you were going to say Jordan Phillips, but I don't know, man. I, I figure that's just not a good one because he is starting to get the credit that he does deserve. But who do you got? Who's your yeah. unsung hero right now? I'm going to go with, I think, John Feliciano. And the reason is is I was not interested when the Bills signed John Feliciano. I said all along, all offseason, I was been super wrong on him. I said, this guy is not going to be a starter. He shouldn't start in the NFL. And uh, I see no real role for him on this team. I don't think he even makes the game day roster with who we had at the time when they brought him in. Um I was totally wrong. I think he's serviceable. I don't think he's super good, but I think from where my expectations of who he was for this team were, I think he's way vastly exceeded those, more so than anybody uh, on the team. But he, he's not the best offensive lineman. He's, he's got flaws just like Quentin Spain does, but I, I just like that this was a guy that I was totally down on, and he's changed my opinion, and I love having my opinion changed by players on the field. That's a good one. I'm going to go with a guy who is actually a – Fairly well-known starter. I've talked about the offensive line all year, good and bad, about a bunch of guys. I barely ever mentioned Deion Dawkins. But I think he's played pretty well this year, especially yeah. based on last year. Last year I thought he was kind of garbage. And I remember spending a lot of time this summer saying, you know what, get him out of left tackle, move him to guard, move him to the right side. Hell, if, if he doesn't improve, move him to the bench. But I feel like he's played well at left tackle this year. He's been, the line has been okay. They haven't been great. They haven't been terrible. But I feel like he's been the best offensive lineman this year. In his case, not talking about him much. I mean, me and you talk on this podcast quite often. How often do we talk about Deion Dawkins? Not a lot. Yeah, it's, yeah. He's doing his job. And it's, I don't know. I just, yep. I, I'm pleased with him this year. So that's my pick. Yeah, I like that one. Let's go best play and worst play of the year. And let's go, uh, let's start with the worst play of the year. This was kind of hard for me to remember, to be honest with you. I can't remember shit from last week, let alone at all parts of the season, but one specific play, your worst play of the year so far this year. Uh, for me, it was uh, Allen's fumble against the Eagles. Yeah. That game was the worst game of the year for me, and that play was the most pivotal play in that game, in my opinion. Uh, I, I thought they had a shot in that game up until that point, and then from there, that point on, the game just had a totally different feel. Eagles took total control of that game, took the momentum, and ran with it, and the Bills were never never able to recover. And so uh, I, I never had that game as a win, uh, but the minute he fumbled, uh, the any idea of a win went right up, uh, off the table there. I agree, and I got nothing to add. You said everything perfect right there. What about the other side? What's been the best play of the year so far? Uh, well, hopefully we agree here again. I think it was the Trey White interception against Miami because, again, in that same sense of a pivotal play, that that game was trending in the wrong direction up until that point, uh, and he makes the, the interception right along the goal line there, and it, it, that was a game-changing play, and it saved – uh, Bill's Twitter from collapsing saved the Bills and, and their ability to go 5-1 and one and not drop a game uh, in division to a really bad football team. I agree 100% again. And, yeah, I'll tell you what, if he doesn't make that play, they lose the game. I've said that a million times. Yeah, I feel I like if they go in, they score, they go up 21-9, see, it's over. That's the way I felt yeah. about that. I will give honorable mention, though. Maybe I'll give him a, a smaller trophy. 
Dawson Knox, when he caught that pass against Cincy. And that was a big one. Bulldozed yeah. his way for 49 yards. They have set up the winning touchdown. That was a big play as well. Let's switch. I, I mean, I just mentioned Dawson Knox. He's a rookie. Let's switch to the rookies. Most disappointing and best rookie so far. And again, just so we're clear here, when we say most disappointing rookie, that does not mean at all that neither Aaron nor I are saying this guy's a bust, this guy's a bum, he's never going to amount to shit in the NFL. We're not saying that. I'm talking about these first eight games right now and nothing further. Because that's all this is right now is the Bills' midseason awards and nothing else. So on that note, most disappointing rookie, who you got? Cody Ford. Uh, Just from where he was drafted and what we heard from the Bills and draft Twitter and all the people of what he would be able to bring to this team and where he was going to be at, he's just not there. It's been an ongoing, revolving position with him and Ty Insecki, and I I just I don't like where it's at. I know he's got to develop, but as far as eight games in, he's definitely got the most disappointing. I agree, and furthermore. I don't blame him as much because I still maintain, yeah. I think he's playing out of position. I'm just going to say that, you know, guys like Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds, they're going to grow. They're younger. They're going to grow. I think you could put Cody Ford at right tackle for the next 10 years, and I think he'll stink if you put him there for the next 10 years because I just don't think he's quick enough to get out against those edge guys. So I don't put that on him, but, yeah, Cody Ford's my pick too. What about the other side, best rookie? Devin Singletary, even in the the limited amount of time uh, where he had the injury, um, he might be next to John Brown and and maybe Cole Beasley, the best offensive player on the team. So I I think he's easily the best rookie so far this year. I agree. I want to say Ed Oliver, but, you know, he has started slow. I'm not down on Ed Oliver. That's not what I'm saying. Yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. He's a rookie. It's a tough position to learn. And Jordan Phillips is playing really well. So, I mean, you can't have them both out there that often because they kind of play in the same position. But, yeah, I got Singletary, too. He's averaging, I'm looking up the stats, 6.7 yards per carry on 40 carries. He's got 370 yards from the scrimmage on just 40 touches, 12 catches, three touchdowns. Bro, I'm telling you, that's Thurman shit right there. <laughs> I'm telling yeah. you, man, this, this dude's the good. I, I really like him, and I'm excited about him. All right, last two here, Team MVP and Team LVP so far this season. Let's start with Team LVP. This one was hard for me because there's definitely some guys I want to see getting better, but I think the LVP right now for me is Corey Bork is. Um, I know punting is a really hard thing. I just put a tweet out about it because people were being snarky after Sean McDermott said, you know, the mental toughness of a punter, and, and he's got that. It, it is a mentally challenging position. I, I totally appreciate that, but I can't stand the inconsistencies from the punter. He was brought in, and people thought this guy was a big diamond in the rough. We pulled one over on Belichick. You know, we, we upped the Patriots here, and he had a good first season, and again, he's just been super disappointing this year, super inconsistent. He bounced back from that 15 yarder but if the if he doesn't kick that 15 yard uh punt i don't think the redskins score at all again the rest of that game he gave them points uh and when my punter's giving up points man i'm just i'm, I'm very mad so cory bork is against my lvp i might offend you with this one but i i'm going with, right. you mentioned him earlier sorry lotally i just I, I'm, I'm done That's with it. Him, I hang up. I'm hanging out I'm, I'm done with him man I'm, I'm telling you and again i'm not a film guy and i know what you're saying too that sometimes stats don't tell the story. I get that, or we don't really know what gap guys are supposed to be in. I understand that. But I'm telling you right now, I'll put on the DVR of the game. I'll pull out my cell phone. I'll take some videos, and I'll be like, 
yo, why is this dude just standing straight up? Like, yeah. standing straight up. I've seen it three, four times because I wanted to bitch at him. I want to bitch at him, but I need evidence to do it. So I literally was focusing on this guy a ton. And I'm just talking about Washington games specifically. And he's just, whatever, man. He ain't doing it for me. I'm just going to leave it at that. Harrison Phillips' injury, if I would have had an un, uh, a category for, like, unheralded mini headline for the season right now, it would be a Harrison Phillips injury because I think that's really hurt the defense right now. But anyway, all right. Oh, it's a huge loss, yeah. It is. Let's finish up here. Team MVP. There's probably yeah. a two or three horse race. Maybe it'll be an easy pick for you. Maybe it won't be. Who do you got? For me, it's an easy pick. I picked him as my uh, best player on the Bills last year, MVP of the season last year. It's Trey White for me. I think Trey White's by far the most talented Buffalo Bill. I think he's the best at what he does. He's one of the best in the league at what he does, and and I I think that for me it's an easy choice. He's the best player on the Buffalo Bills. I do ultimately agree with you. I had a little bit of a tougher time because I really like the way Micah Hyde has played this year. Not, yeah, just for his, great. not just for his stats, but just as the leadership out there. We talked before, he's kind of like taken over a, like a leadership role of Kyle Williams since he left. Yep. He's made some big plays, but yeah, you got to go with Trey Wayne. I, I said this a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. You don't beat Miami. He literally, if there's one game this year where I could say one player won the game for the Bills, it's the Miami game and it's Trey White. Not just that play, no, also yeah. the force fumble too, if you remember that later on in the game too, like two drives later. Oh yeah. That, that was huge as well. And he was absolutely fantastic. You're a big Terry McLaurin guy, and so am I, because, by the way, I started him in fantasy football this past Sunday a little bit. Disappointing there in the stat sheet, but uh, Trey White did a phenomenal job with him. He had that well-timed blitz. He was just a good player, man. He's a pro bowler at this point. Maybe he's not the best corner in the NFL, but he should be in the conversation top five to seven. There's no question about it. And until this last couple games, I'm like, this is a good team that doesn't have an MVP. But, yeah, I agree with you, man. I think at this point, He's kind of standing out and becoming a, a no-question MVP. Yeah, and I, I think that you're right in to talk about Micah Hyde. And when addressing the run defense, when we talked about that earlier, and Leslie Frazier was addressing it, he said something that kind of piqued my interest when he talked about, you know, it's still – one of the most important things in the NFL is stopping the big passing game and stopping teams from beating you with the passing game. And I think that is still the priority for this defense. And I think that they're fine. They don't want to get gashed like they have been getting gashed, but they're fine with giving some of that up and stopping the pass. And you don't stop the pass the way the Buffalo Bills defense has done that here over the last year and a half. Uh, without having locked down guys at every level of the defensive backfield. And so uh, I, I think any one of those guys, there's a case to be made uh, of having a great season. I think at each level, Trey White and Micah Hyder are doing it at the best levels. Yeah, and White's already got three picks this year. He's only one off from his career high his rookie year three years ago. And I'll tell you, when it comes to game plans, we're not going to talk Buffalo-Cleveland on Sunday. But I will say this, we don't know the game plan until we see it on Sunday for most things. but. You can rest assured, wherever 13 for Cleveland is lined up, that you're going to see a lot of uh, 27. He man followed man. my boy, uh, followed my boy Terry McLaurin all day. Was, I think the first we've seen him shadow uh, this year. Kind of goes to show how good Terry is. But uh, you know, he's got that ability. If you do need, if you're going up against a dynamic wide receiver, he can do that. One of my favorite things to do at the halfway point in the season, exactly, is take numbers and then project them because. I'm kind of stupid and not very good at math, but, you know, when you're already halfway through the season, all you got to do is take a number and multiply it by two to come up with the numbers. So 
I got I got a couple players here, okay, that I want to run off projections, and if they can finish the year the same exact way they went the first half of the year, I want to get your thoughts on it. First, let's probably start with what's the most unrealistic. Well, maybe you know what? Maybe it ain't that unrealistic. Jordan Phillips right now is on pace for 12 sacks, and I looked it up. Kyle Williams, who's regarded by many as one of maybe the best Bills defensive tackle in franchise history, dude only had one season in his career, a great career, a Wall of Fame career, where he had more than five and a half sacks in a year. Jordan Phillips has already got yeah. six halfway through the season. Kyle Williams had, I think, ten and a half sacks in 2013. Outside of that, he never had more than five and a half. Jordan Phillips is on pace right now for 12 sacks. That's a lot. That is a lot. I was just having this conversation with somebody today that it is a fun exercise to do the, you know, on pace at halfway through the year and we'll guys do it. The problem with some of the things like turnovers and even sacks is a lot of those come in bunches. You'll you'll get a lot of them together. He had that big day against Tennessee. He had another sack this year last week. So you start to get a lot of stuff in bunches. I don't think that he can, and you even said that. I don't know that he gets to 12. Uh, but if, even if he's hovering around double digits, man, if he's a 9-10 sack guy, what a great thing uh, to bring to your team off of waivers from another team and, and make a real role player. And then you got to start talking, is he do for a big contract from this team or do they let him hit the market so um yeah if he can even hover around double digits man i think that he's going to get paid by either the bills or somebody pretty well he's going to have a nice payday coming up in 2020 yeah we'll talk about that more in a second cole beasley on pace right now 70 catches for 674 and six touchdowns it sounds about realistic to probably what you could have expected when the bills went out and signed him you agree i think so yeah, I don't think uh, – we talked about a lot in our, our premium Slack channel of will the Bills have a 100 reception catcher, and we're like, man, I don't even know, and I, th- I think we end, will end up, but we're like, I don't even know if they'll have an 80 reception pass catcher. And I, so we, I think a lot of people – would be happy at when they sign Cole Beasley. Hey, if that's going to be his stat line, do you like that kind of production? And I do. I, that's almost better than the best receiver was last year, and he's not the number one wide receiving target. Uh, so I, I like that production from him. And lately he stepped up doing a lot more of what I thought he would do when he came here. And we saw that against Washington this past weekend. Uh, him lined up one-on-one in the red zone, just putting a move on somebody and getting open. And you can't defend that in the red zone, and that makes him uh, a special target that he is. Yeah, last year, Zay Jones was the quote-unquote number one receiver. He had 56 for 652 and seven touchdowns, and he kind of got crucified as, as a bust. So he's easily being a number two receiver. I think those are really good numbers. John Brown. 84 catches for 12.06 and four touchdowns. That's what he's on pace for right now. I'll tell you, 84 catches sounds like a lot, but this guy's consistently catching four, five, six passes every week because Josh Allen looks for him. I don't think 84 is an unrealistic number for the to expect. No, I mean, not at the current rate that they're going to him. He's clearly Josh Allen's favorite target, and he, and he should be. He's the best route runner. Well, Cole is a better route runner, but he's one of the best at, because of his dynamic speed, he can use that to his ability to run really cool routes. Uh, a lot of that hitch work back towards Josh Allen. And I know fans are upset we're not getting the long play, but John Brown is catching the ball typically 10 to 13, 14, 15 yards uh, at a clip. And, and the 
type of production that he's getting is pretty impressive. And when plays break down, John Brown's the first guy breaking off his route and coming back to the ball for Josh. So he's a QB-friendly guy. So he's going to continue to get fed the ball. Um, and I like that line of production. If, if that's going to be a season, I'm super happy. I'd like to see uh, maybe a few more touchdowns, him to kind of go on a nice little run here in the next few weeks with, with upping his touchdowns and, and make that pace go up a little bit because I think then you really start to have the conversation of does this guy deserve to be in that wide receiver one kind of comment this year. Yeah, and I'll tell you too, by the way, if he does finish with those numbers, the 1,206 receiving yards would be ninth all time in team franchise yep. history for a single well, I mean, when's the last time we had a guy hit a number like that? It's been a while. It's been a while for sure. First couple, first Sammy Watkins here, he had 1,000 yards, right? Yeah. One of yep. his first couple years. All right, last guy here, and this is more of a question than pointing out something. Let's do Josh Allen. And he's mm-hmm. completing 60.9% of his passes. Obviously, in a projection, that's going to stay the same. But if he finishes with these numbers at the end of the year, what's going to be your attitude towards him? It would be 3,306 yards passing, so 3,300 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. He's on pace to be sacked 42 times, 18 fumbles, six of them lost. That's got to obviously improve in the second half. Um, right. And then on the ground, 496 yards rushing. So just under 500 yards rushing and eight touchdowns rushing, which is a ton. But if, at the end of the season, if that's his stat line, are you going to be happy? Are you going to be mad? Where are you going to be at if he does that? Well, I'll have to look it up because we had this conversation, Greg and I did on our podcast before the season started, of uh, making some predictions for guys uh, where they'd be at the end of the year. And I'm pretty sure I had Josh Allen at 3,400 yards uh, passing and 25 touchdowns. So that that's not far off from where I had him. Uh, so that those numbers don't concern me. The ones that concern me a little bit are the 42 sacks, 18 fumbles, 6 lost. Uh, I'd like to see him clean up those going on pace. I think if he finishes with that, I have a lot of concerns that maybe not necessarily about him, about just the team in general. Um, But even with the stats that I uh, had projected, and I thought that was a pretty modest projection uh, for Josh Allen in year two that I had had, um, even in that, I didn't think that he could make the whatever it's been, uh, eight-point jump, nine-point jump in his completion percentage in a half of a season. If he maintains a 60% completion percentage, that's something that literally everybody on Twitter, every analyst said, this is his biggest flaw. This is what he can't do at the next level. He'll never be a 60% completion passer. And if he breaks that mark in his second year, uh, I'm going to be super excited. And you look at a lot of the other quarterbacks that people compare him to, and they were able at some point in their career to get around that 60-point mark, that 60% completion mark, but they weren't able to maintain it, and it took them a few years to get to that mark. So I think that's a really nice indicator. When you look at his adjusted completion percentage when you get rid of the batted balls and uh, dropped passes from guys. He's sitting right in between Carson Wentz and Patrick Mahomes at 21st in the league in adjusted completion percentage. So uh, I think a lot of the comments about his accuracy or lack of accuracy and never being able to be a high uh, volume efficiency passer, all that kind of starts to get thrown out the window. So that that's probably the one that I would like the most if he keeps on pace there. The one thing that I really like to see him improve on just to shut people up, if nothing else, is the passing yards. If he finishes the season with only 3,300 yards in the year, that is not going to shut people up, man. People who want to criticize him, they'll have all the ammunition in the world to keep doing it if he only throws for 
3306. Anyway, let me tell you my favorite thing about this team. And now we, we just did midseason awards. We're doing projections. The cap situation is in really good shape. And you brought up Jordan Phillips, and I'm glad you did in terms of him potentially getting a big contract this year. I could totally see that happening. If he plays anything like he did in the first half, he's definitely going to get paid. Here's the thing, though. I'm not so sure the Bills would do that. It just doesn't seem like in their wheelhouse. Like, if he's going to go out and get a monster contract, like, say somebody, and I know they're different positions, but, like, say Flowers for New England last offseason or Trent Brown even better, that monster, ridiculous overpaid contracts that those two guys got in the market, I could see Jordan Phillips putting up the numbers he does in leaving. Because, I mean, they got Ed Oliver, and they ain't trying to play him 30 to 32% of the time if Jordan Phillips is in front of him beyond his first year. You know what I mean? So I could see him leaving a free agency. But here was my point. The Bills are in really good shape right now when it comes to free agency and not have, because they're going to be in good cap shape. And they don't have a ton of guys that they really need to re-sign as free agents or lose them this offseason. Because after Jordan Phillips, the next toughest decision is probably going to be Shaq Lawson, who before this season, I think they were pretty much resigned to letting him go. But now he might be playing himself into a, a new contract. I think the Bills will certainly have interest in re-signing him. So, but you got Jordan Phillips, you got Shaq. And then after that, I'm looking at the 2019 summer, I'm sorry, spring of 2020 free agents. And there's a lot out there, bro. Lorenzo Alexander, Frank Gore, Quinn in Spain. Those guys are old. I don't, I don't, they might not be back, none of them. Kevin Johnson, Adrian Waddle, Julian Stanford, Mo Alexander, Kirk Coleman, and Sonoris Perry. That's not a very big-time free aging class, and especially if Jordan Phillips plays his way out of here with a big contract. And they got a lot of money and not a lot of big, important guys to re-sign. Well, so the thing that's going to start happening to this team, though, in the next two years is you're going to start are coming up to the time where it's next year you're going to have some of those guys that are going to be free agents, but then you're going to start coming up to Big guys time. that are going to be hitting the time where it's you're going to extend them. Are you going yeah. to extend Jordan Poyer? Dawkins. He's going to get a nice – yeah, these guys are going to get a nice – Milano, I think Dawkins. this year uh, Tredavious White is in play to say, hey, do we want to try to get this guy just locked yeah. up for a long-term – Deal, yeah, you said Dawkins, Milano. So there's going to be a lot of these guys in the next year, year and a half here that are going to come up early extensions, and you're going to try to get them in. And there's some creative stuff that Brandon Bean's going to be able to do to kind of keep the cap low, but still make them one of the higher paid guys in the league. But a lot of this is coming to to uh, the desk of Brandon Bean, and he's got a lot of decisions to make. So when you look at the Jordan Phillips, I like his production. He's still got flaws in his game for sure. He does. He's not the best run defender. He, he brings a lot of energy, but he's not always in position. He, he's got flaws, so that's going to be a tough decision for him. Like you, you said, Shaq Lawson's coming up. I'm a big extend Shaq now kind of guy and see if you can get a deal before he hits free agency because I like what he brings to this team and provides to it, but I'm, I'm at maybe giving him Trent Murphy-type money, the deal Trent Murphy signed a couple years ago, get him in right around there, but I don't want to overpay for that guy because I do, I'm willing to overpay for Jordan Poirier and Trey Davies way. We just talked about it. They're, they're two of the best players on this defense. Matt Milano, I don't know how far I'm willing to overpay for him, but I think it's worth, you know, reaching a little bit over his value to keep him here with Tremaine Edmonds going forward. So you're going to have to start paying some of these young guys that you've built this core around and invested uh, not only good draft picks, but time and energy in developing these guys. And, and the good teams 
keep those guys in their buildings. And I know fans want to look in all these assets that they've created and all these draft picks and go get something fancy and trade it all and go get something fancy. But I really think the plan is to sign the guys that you've developed, put in the time, and feel are going to put you towards that Super Bowl caliber. And I think that they got quite a few of them on this team that they, they want to make sure they get locked up long term. Yeah, I agree. And that was like kind of my point is with this free agent class, the unrestricted class that's coming up right now, Jordan Phillips and maybe Shaq Lawson are the two to decide on. But, yeah, yeah they got the money, they got the cap room, and I, I feel like the organizational way is going to be to lock up guys like Poyer and Dawkins and Milano and Trey White. I mean, they could give him a fifth-year option, but you don't want him getting that fifth-year. He'll be unhappy. Given his contract. You don't want to extend it into that, yeah. Exactly. But they're in really good shape when it comes organizationally and cap-wise. Last thing here, man. Okay, so the Bills are 6-2, and two, playing Cleveland 2-6. and six. They're shot. I mean, they're not officially dead, but their asses are on life support at this point. We've already talked about the Bills getting the 10 wins ad nauseum at this point. Win or lose that Cleveland game, I still think that very easily can happen. But, you know, you get to the wild card, I got, here's my scoreboard, okay? I got four others, and obviously Buffalo as well. So five teams, I feel like, ultimately are fighting for two spots. And as of right now, the Bills are two games, at least two games ahead of into a wild card spot. I mean, only one game up on any, but they're two games ahead in a wild card race. I want you to tell me, I'm going to run off a couple teams. You tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 how concerned you are about these, these teams potentially overtaking the Bills in the AFC, okay? That's how we'll end this. I'm going to start with Oakland. They're 4-4. Four and four. They still got to play the Chargers twice and Kansas City, but besides that, they got some pretty easy games ahead as well. So, Oakland right now at 4-4, four and four, two games currently behind the Bills. That, to me, is my most concerned team to be on the trail of the Bills. I'm going to go with 8.5. I've done. I've been doing playoff predictors and all that stuff for a few weeks now and playing with different scenarios, and Oakland keeps popping up as a team. I even had it the other day where I had the Bills at 11 wins, 11-5, and five, and Oakland got in ahead of them. Just their, their schedule is pretty easy, and I like the way they're playing right now, man. They had all that drama at the beginning of the year, and I know a lot of people don't like Gruden. They're they're doing something quietly over there. They've escaped all that drama, and they're they're playing some pretty good football over there. I, I think that they could be a team that is right on the heels of the Bills as they're in the hunt. I'm going to give you a confession. I wasn't sure they were going to win four games this season, not four of their first yeah. eight. What about the Chargers? Yeah. The Chargers are four and five. I thought they were dead. They had a big win against Green Bay this week. They still got to play the Raiders twice, so maybe they could cancel each other out. And then they also got to play the Chiefs twice and also the Vikings. So. Good veteran team, but they already have five losses. And again, the Raiders twice, KC twice, Minnesota, lots of tough games ahead for them. Yeah, I think it's tough. They don't die easy. You think of all the injuries that their yeah. team has had over the last few years, but they still somehow manage to just kind of keep coming back. They're like a nasty cockroach. They just don't go away. And uh, four and five I don't think is going to cut it for them. But uh, I think they'll be pesky in some games. So I think, I mean, you got a good quarterback and any time they could go on a run. So I'll say uh, six and a half. I think that uh, of concern, they, they can go on a run at any point, but I, I think only two teams are, are coming out of uh, two divisions, right? It's either going to be, you're either going to have the Chiefs in Oakland, the Bills in the Patriots, or you're going to have some, you know, what, some, one of the two AFC South teams, in my opinion. All right, you got the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're at 4-4, four and four, who, by the way, played Buffalo at home in a few weeks, which could potentially be a huge game. They got the Rams and the Ravens. 
But again, they got a pretty easy schedule outside of that as well. So Pittsburgh at four and four. So this is another team that I thought was dead. I, th- I thought they were dead three weeks ago. They've gone on a nice little three-game winning streak here. My guy, pre-draft, Mason Rudolph, not playing poorly. Uh, he's doing pretty good. He's got, you, you can't win to have a three-game winning streak without people playing well. So um, I think they're a little bit less of a concern to me than the Chargers are. I think part of the, the benefit to them has been playing some easy teams too. I know we, we say that about the Bills, but um, I would say a six. There, there are six concerns for me still just more than math all right well i'll tell you what this is actually believe it or not the team that concerns me more than anyone else i'm gonna tell you why real yeah. quick here first of all they play the bills at home so if they beat them they're within one game with a tiebreaker now pittsburgh right. game, but for the record by the way buffalo and pittsburgh obviously could both make it well i'm just going here one one by one they play the bills they could get within one with a tiebreaker and you know how we talk about the bills all if they only just beat miami and the jets and denver and whatever other scrub team they got left. They can easily get to 9 or Cleveland. They can get to 9 or 10 wins very easily. Well, I mean, you look at Pittsburgh right now. They play Cleveland twice. They play the Bengals. They play Arizona. They play the Jets. Those teams stink, man. They stink. Right. And if they, especially if they beat the Bills, that's nine wins right there just by handling the business you're supposed to. And if they can beat the Bills, they could get to 10 as well. So I'm actually really concerned about Pittsburgh. Last team, Indy. And by the way, I'm giving the AFC South to Houston, which maybe that's very premature of me, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I got Indy right now. They're 5-3. and three. They still play Houston. They still play Carolina. They still play the New Orleans Saints. So they got some tough games ahead of them, man. Obviously, issues now with quarterback. They don't know how Brissett's going to be health-wise with the MCL. So what do you think about Indy? I don't think – so they're not a concern to me because I've had this idea in my head that whoever loses the AFC South is going to be the fifth wild card spot. I really do feel that way. I think both teams are a little bit better than the Buffalo Bills right now, and I think they'll both finish with better records. I think that that, uh, that division is going to flop back and forth a few times over the next couple of months, Who whoever is in first place of that. And I think whoever is in second place is just going to either – they'll either have a tied record and lose the tiebreaker with the other one, or they're going to be one game behind. I think that will still be a better record than the Buffalo Bills. So I really do think that the, the loser of the AFC South right now, if I had a pick is going to be a lockdown for the five seeds. So I would say that Indy's a five concern for me. Say one of these other teams goes on a run and, and locks down the fifth seed, then yeah, you're competing with, with Indy. But if that's the case, then the Bills are going to have a really hard time getting in the playoffs. If you're competing with Indy for the sixth seed, I think the way that they're playing football right now, then then the Bills could be one of those teams that has a rough year where you're an 11-win team and you miss out on the playoffs. So we did the midseason awards, and at midseason, if the playoffs were going to happen, you're going to say Indian Buffalo, those are going to be your two wild card picks? That's it, yeah. All right, and I'm going to go Buffalo. I do think the Bills are going to make the playoffs, but I'm going Pittsburgh, man. I'm telling you, maybe Indy falls apart. I really like Pittsburgh going on a run. So I'm going to go Bills and Steelers. Last thing, too, by the way, we didn't even talk about the NFL. San Francisco, the last undefeated team in the NFL. Is that I never, and we could have had, me and you could have talked for a week on the air. We could have had a marathon where neither of us slept for a week. Talked about every scenario in the world going into the season. I never would have guessed that it would be the San Francisco 49ers that were the last undefeated team in the NFL. 
Nobody could have. People were laughing at him uh, this last year. What are they going to do with all these guys up front? What are they going to do with all this? Is, is John Lynch even a good GM? Jimmy Garoppolo sucks. Um, maybe some of those things are all true, but they're, they're, they're undefeated, and they're the only ones left in the NFL. And they've played some good, really good games. And uh, I think there's a case to be made for, for Bosa to be in, in the MVP uh, chatter. I know that it's going to be hard for a defender to ever get that, but talk about a guy coming onto a team and making all the difference in the world. I mean, he's been a game wrecker from the first game time he stepped on an NFL field. Maybe one of the best number one picks I've seen in a really long time. And I, th- I think that you got to at least have him in that conversation of MVP here eight weeks in. Defensive player of the year for sure. No question about that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, next time we Come hook on, up... Don't you want to see a defender? Don't you want to see a defender win an MVP? Never going to happen. On. Never going to happen. It's just like the NBA. There's just a formula, and they're always going to stick to it. And just it's, make it the quarterback of the year. You know? It's Call like, what it is. It's like baseball, where a pitcher just ain't going to win MVP. I think it happened in the 70s was the last time. I actually think that should happen. You know, I was going to mention Lamar Jackson, but I'm going to save him for the next time we get together. Because we literally could do oh, it until your podcast. You have me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll have you back at some point, I guess. But seriously, man, this is Lamar Jackson. He was so impressive against New England. I don't want to get into the 2018 class because, again, we're really pressed for time now at this point. But next time we hook up, we're going to talk about him. You want to talk yeah, about – yo, we th- you talk about Josh Allen on Twitter and think that's a hot topic discussion. Sunday night on Twitter, I, all I did is put out Lamar Jackson just impressing the shit out of me. And my mentions, ooh. Well, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have a problem with that just because the majority of your fan base is Bills fans. Yeah, there is a real um, uh, lack of confidence in ourselves amongst Bills fans that we can't give anybody else credit uh, if our guy isn't getting the same credit. So I've done it too, where I've I've said I like the way he was looked, and then people just bulldoze my mentions with well but this well that and it's like all right guys you sound so desperate right now to to make your point but we can go into a long conversation about Lamar because I I think he's a super interesting prospect and I don't know where his career is going to end up but I really like where it's trending right now let me let me leave you with this okay and I'll leave the listeners with this as well for next time and this is a hot take I don't think if you're the GM of Cleveland you're the GM of the Jets and if you're the GM of the Buffalo Bills, I'm not going to count Arizona because they already got rid of Rosen and Mason Rudolph wasn't even a first-round pick. But if you're a Browns, a Jets, or a Bills GM, I don't want to hear that you wouldn't take Lamar Jackson ahead of any quarterback that you have right now. I'm going to leave you with that hot take, man. Yeah, you leave me with that. You don't want to hear my thoughts on that. But... <laughs> we'll do it next time. We'll have a nice yeah, day. we'll do it next time. A 2018 draft class discussion for sure. So what do you got going on on the podcast this coming Wednesday? So, yeah, we're going to have Jake Burns. He used to work with us over at Cover One, and he's off doing uh, some Browns film breakdown stuff. So we're going to have him on. Greg's traveling over uh, in Poland this week, so it's just going to be me and Jake breaking down the uh, Browns-Bills matchup. And then we're going to go right back at it right after the game on Sunday and and hopefully break down another win. And that'll be a seven-win show, and and that'll be tied. Or, no, I did a nine-win season. That's right. So we're getting close to the record of wins that I've 
done in a season, and I, I hope to break that this year because it's a lot more fun to do a post-game show uh, when they're winning. I was just with Drew from the Rockpile Report here tonight. He's helping me pick up a, a grill of mine, and we were talking. He said, I don't know how you do the post-game shows, dude. I'm so emotional, even after wins sometimes, but definitely after losses I couldn't do it. And I said, well, this season I'll tell you, it's a lot easier to do six that were wins and just do the two that were losses. That, that, that makes it for a nice season doing the show. What's Greg doing in Poland? I don't know. He's all over the place, man. I think it's for work, uh, some training for work. But he's always traveling. He's in hotel rooms constantly. He's a, he's a busy man working all the time. So, yeah, he's out there in Poland, so I'm solo. I did the solo postgame show, and then I'm doing the solo here uh, this week with my buddy Jake. So, definitely, you're going to want to tune in, man. I it, Being unbiased, I think those shows are fun because we always bring on a guest that breaks down the other team, guys from the athletic of the other team or from the lockdown of the other team, and we just talk about, you know, because not all of us get to find follow the NFL closely like those guys do. So we get the breakdowns from their point of view, and then we get a nice kind of outside look of the Bills. You know, what do they think of the Buffalo Bills and their scouting? Uh, and, and that's a nice kind of perspective for us to, to hone down our homers and our fandom to say, hey, the rest of the league views us this way. Yeah, good stuff. All right, everyone, follow Aaron on Twitter at AaronQuinn716. Check out Cover 1. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes. Thanks for doing the pod, man. Went the entire hey, distance man. this time, too. So, uh, really appreciate you. Anytime. I appreciate it. I love coming on and chatting with you, man. All right, podcast people, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thanks again to my man, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Always a good time having Aaron on the podcast with me. Coming up on the show Friday. One of the best veteran NFL beat reporters in the business today. Mary Kay Cabot from the Cleveland Plain Dealer and, of course, Cleveland.com. She's going to be my guest. We'll get you set up for the Bills-Browns game coming up this weekend. And talk some Browns, and I mean, my God, what a colossal flop of failure that team has been this year. 2-6 and six and pretty much, if not completely out of it, definitely on life support at this point anyway. I'll get Mary's take on the Browns. And again, we'll talk about plenty of other stuff. Guys, please give us a subscribe if you haven't done so already. Rate and review. All that fun stuff. It really helps me grow this show a lot. Apple, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. New shows every Tuesday and Friday. And when you subscribe, you're going to hear them first. Also, go hit up the Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Got podcasts, highlight clips from current and past shows, plenty of brand new original audio content, content that is exclusive to that channel. Not going to hear it anywhere else, including this podcast. Putting up stuff at least two times a week now. Hopefully you enjoy it. Again, Moran Analytics Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe. Hit that little bell next to it as well so notifications will come out when new stuff is released. Then lastly, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at PamaranTweets. Constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, prize pack giveaways, thoughts, all kinds of other stuff. Again, at Pam Moran Tweets. Thanks for listening. I say it at the end of every episode because I really mean it. I appreciate each and every single one of you that take time from your day to give this podcast a listen. No matter where you are, no matter how many times you listen to it, I'm very grateful, very thankful, very humble for all of you. So thank you very much. Have a good week. And again, Friday, Mary Kay Cabot. Talk to you soon. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.